Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Law College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have an amazing episode to share with you. I just had the opportunity to speak with one of the leading authorities in productivity and the science of being more productive. His name is David Allen. Uh, David started his journey a long time ago. Uh, he had a lot of different jobs, sort of stumbled into consulting and created a manual and a method, a model for being more productive called Getting Things Done. He's the author of a book called Getting Things Done, as well as a few other books uh, about productivity, uh, making it all work, ready for anything, a few, few other books. And his work, I believe, is some of the most important stuff that you could study. It has, it's an easy to follow, simple method for emptying your mind and becoming uh, more productive by focusing on the things that matter. Uh, this is one of those things, one of those books that if you can implement it correctly, if you can learn it early enough and practice it, practice the habits, uh, it will have a, a compound effect over the course of your life as far as how much more things that you can get done, how much more productive you can be in the long run. So I highly recommend uh, you check out his books and his work. And, you know, I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation with him where I was able to ask him a lot of the questions that I had after reading his book and just uh, from, you know, all the other uh, content I've heard of him, other questions I want to ask. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with David Allen. Hey, David, thank you so much for joining the show. It's a real honor to have you on. Patrick, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Well, you have an amazing body of work in the past, but for those of you, or for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work, or maybe in your own words, would you be able to describe you know, what you do and where you come from? Yeah, well, I've spent the last 35 years really researching, uh, formulating, uh, curating, and implementing the best practices for yeah, how do we stay uh, productive? How do we surf on top of our world? How do we get you know space inside of our psyche to focus on the meaningful stuff? Uh, first of all, for myself, and then in my own you know initial consulting practice for the techniques I was finding out for myself that worked gave me more control, more focus, more stability, more you know ability to, to you know focus on the right stuff that I turned around and used those same techniques with my clients and it produced exactly the same results. So uh, somebody in the big corporate world saw what I was doing and said, wow, David, we really need those results in our whole company. Can you design a training program around this? And so I designed a two-day personal productivity seminar around the methodology that I had come up with. And it turned out to be very successful. So I found myself thrust into the corporate training world. Um, as a matter of fact, you mentioned Burbank. My uh, that was Lockheed, 1983, 84, uh, and so uh, who knew? I, who'd have thought I'd wound it? If you'd have told me as an American history major uh, in graduate school in Berkeley in '68 that I was going to be in the corporate training world, you know, I'd have said, "Well, what are you smoking? You, know, <laughs> are you 
kidding? But it turned out that was the a ripe audience because they were the the people, um, you know, were getting bombarded with the flood of digi the digital world, email, and so forth. And so it took me 25 years to figure out that what I'd figured out was unique. Nobody else had done it. And so, you know, I got some good coaching that I should write the book in case I got run over by a bus. It'd be really nice to make sure that what I'd learned in all those years, you know, with this methodology could be in a manual somewhere. So, you know, it took me four years, but I wrote Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, that book in, first published in 2001, the first edition of it. And that sort of thrust me into the global world because it hit a nerve out there, translated into 30 languages. And uh, so now fast forward, I've, most of my work now is supporting licensees that we've trained and we've trained master trainers all around the world. And we'd have licensees who've been licensed and certified to train this methodology and coach this methodology. So that's a very short version of a very long story, Patrick. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm curious, like you mentioned that you first started using these methods yourself. Uh, in what context or in what scenarios were, did you apply these methods? And, you know, how did you realize that they were, you know, so effective? Actually, it, it, frankly, it, it started not because I felt like I was out of control. I thought I kind of had my act together. But I wound up, as I just started my own consulting practice, I was... Uh, I wound up having, meeting a guy who turned out to be a mentor of mine in terms of management consulting. And uh, I hung out with him for a couple of years. He had developed some techniques that uh, he found extremely critical and, and very useful for helping organizations change. And some of those techniques initially were about how do you clear up all the old business in a company? If you're trying to make change in a company and you got a lot of open loops and a lot of incompletions and a lot of things, and it's kind of like trying to sail a ship with big, huge barnacles on it. So he found himself, he had discovered a couple of techniques that were, you know, elementary techniques now for the, in the, the whole GTD getting things done model and had me sit down. He said, David, okay, why don't you try this out? And he had me empty my head and then decide next actions on everything that I got out of my head that I had my attention on. And I went, wow, that is an amazing experience. So it wasn't like I felt out of control. I thought, it was, thought I had my act together until he had me do that. And then I went, oh my gosh, this is really incredible. So uh, I began you know, working with that and, and both in my consulting stuff. And so uh, that's kind of where it started. And then it, it turned out that a whole, whole lot of the issues that were organizational issues we thought were solved you know, pretty fast when people just started to get stuff out of their head, identify the stuff that had their attention and make next action decisions about it. <clears throat> so th that still is, you know, a core element of what the methodology is that I came up with. Well, what I think is so interesting about when you apply the methodology is getting stuff out of your head is almost, uh, it has many parallels to like a meditation or some sort of, you know, physical exercise or something where, you know, in order to make room for the new stuff, you have to clean out the old stuff. Uh, Correct. Yeah. And there's so many sort of like, it's sort of like a universal law of nature almost to be able to do that. Uh, in your background, when, when you were growing up, was there ever like a situation, you know, where you uh, 
did you have experience with meditation or with uh, any sort of like those spiritual you know realm oh, or sure. anything like that? Yeah. That's actually kind of how I got into all of this was, you know, I was studying, I was an American intellectual history, history major, you know, studying sort of history of thought, history of philosophy, history of culture and social stuff. Um, and I was always fascinated by models and paradigms and how they affected how we thought. And at some point I realized, you know, I wanted to go, instead of just studying people who were enlightened, I wanted to go find my own. So I went on, you know, this is Berkeley, 1968. So prime time, prime time, you know, heady time to, to do that. So I hopped off and started, you know, I was in a very serious self exploration path. So I was much more interested in sort of finding out God truth in the universe and who I was and what, what, what was this thing you know, called life and what we're, what we're supposed to do here and what about all that. So a lot of experiment, a lot of exploration of, you know, various spiritual paths and various techniques and meditation. And then I, you know, got a black belt in karate in the martial arts, which had a lot to do with sort of clear head and clear mind. And uh, so that sort of turned me on to all of that. And then, you know, uh, I had to pay the rent. So, uh, you know, they they weren't paying people to go look for God truth at the universe, you know? <laughs> and and a rice bowl in a cave was kind of not my style, and so I had to make a living. So I wound up helping a lot of people that I knew, and that who who were startups or had their own businesses, and so and so I became a really good number two guy. So I helped. That's why I had so many different kind of jobs, etc. Because you know I would come in and help. People start a business. I helped two guys start a, 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 a New Orleans style restaurant in LA. I, I helped a guy run a, a, a service station just off the, the Santa Monica freeway, you know, uh, uh, and, and a car restoration business. And, you know, I, I did all kinds of things. But I'd, help, I'd come in and help people sort of, I'd look around because I'm just the laziest guy you ever met. I just look around and say, well, can, can, isn't there some easier way we can make this? You know, now they call that process improvement. I was just saying, you know, how, how can I not have to work so hard? You know, how do we, how can we improve the systems here? And then one day, and then I, I'd fix it. And then I get bored and I go leave that job and go find another one. Then I discovered they pay people to do that. They call them consultants. So that's when I decided to hang out my shingle and Allen and Associates, you know, 1981, uh, decided to start my own consulting practice. So that's, that's that's kind of how I stepped into this, but because I had experienced, you know, the meditative uh, qualities and aspects, as, as well as in the martial arts, uh, of clear space and how strategic it was and how practical it was to have, to not be distracted and to be fully available, to be present with whatever was going on. And then as my life got more complex, I saw how that was pretty easy to screw up the clear space. So that's when I got, just got hungry myself to find what are the ways that I can stay clear uh, and still lead a busy life and not have that get in the way of my clarity and my focus. And so, you know, that's good. So there's a, again, a short version of a long story, but that's, that was the backdrop of, you know, kind of why I got interested in this was, you know, the really the value of, of what it's like to be present and how much more uh, productive you can frankly be. If you've got nothing on your mind, it's a lot easier to hit a golf ball or have a difficult conversation or cook spaghetti or, <laughs> anything you want to do a lot easier to do if you are not distracted. Yeah. That's what's, you know, it's so interesting to me when you study like great athletes or any real top performers, they always, you know, describe this flow state 
And it's very much that where they're not really consciously thinking about their actions. It's just happening. Uh, and to be able to interweave the, that's sort of like an Eastern way of thinking and to interweave that with the, you know, Western complexities of, you know, like, sure. our, like you described as the flood of the digital world that, that began, began to take over, uh, you know, in, in the time when, when your book first came out. Uh, well, you know, I think Patrick, I mean, probably 200 years ago, 150 years ago, well, Ben Franklin made lists. So, you know, that this is as old as dirt in terms of the, the value that you have to be able to get stuff out of your head and keep, keep things a little more ordered and, and, and uh, in appropriate relationships with each other. Your head's just a really crappy office. Uh, you know, new cognitive science has basically validated that about four things is the maximum number of things you can keep in your head before you start to diminish your cognitive functioning. And that's like four to-dos, essentially? Four anythings. Anything that's banging around in there, would, could, should, need to, ought to, need to make sure, need to whatever. Because your, your mind, your brain did not evolve really to be a very good uh, instrument for remembering, reminding, or managing relationships between more than four things. Your brain evolved to do some very cool stuff. You and I are doing that right now, which is long-term, uh, long-term memory and, and pattern recognition. So you, you, know, you say, oh, that's a microphone, that's a person, that's a computer. Those are your phones, you know, as opposed to, gee, it's just vibrations of light and sound. Your brain is doing stuff computers can barely even start to do right now. And yet you go to the store for lemons, you come back with six things and no lemons. <laughs> you know, what happened? Well, you were trying to use your head as your office and it sucks. Uh, you know, there's a place to do that. I, you know, I kind of learned that early on. I learned that like 30 years ago when Dean, my mentor, taught me about keeping stuff out of my head and, you know, and then, and then being, being clear about what those things mean and what you need to do with them. So, you know, so that, that was the, sort of the seed of this you know, basic methodology, but we're not born doing it. It is something you actually need to learn how to do, though it's not hard to do. These are, these are not behaviors that are foreign to anybody. Everybody knows how to write stuff down. Everybody knows how to make a next action decision about something that has their attention. Everybody knows how to make a list. Everybody knows how to look at a list and decide what to do and not do on that list. You know, so in a way, it's kind of a big duh. <laughs> But it's a big duh, very few people are really doing. Yeah, which is, you know, especially on the organizational level, which what's, I love what you do because it's essentially creating value out of thin air for a large organization to be able to get more efficient. Uh, you know, it's, it pays dividends in the long run uh, for each employee as well as just like the functioning of the team. So sure. And, and by the way, if anybody listening to this doesn't believe it, you know, ask yourself, do you keep, are you keeping a calendar? And then my question is why, why keep a calendar? You think your head can do it? Yeah, no, you don't. And as a matter of fact, you miss an appointment, you're screwed. So that's yeah. why most people have a pretty good habit of having a calendar looking at it when they need to, to locate themselves in space and time. Oh, where do I need to be when? Yay. But your calendar is barely 5% of your life. What about the other 95% of your life? The same thing. So people, you know, kind of see my system and hear me talk about it or read my book, Getting Things Done, and say, God, you just have too many lists. I go, well, if you don't like lists, throw away your calendar. Don't be intellectually dishonest. I mean, look, your head's the place to hang on to stuff or it's not. Try to intellectually justify halfway in between. You can't. You can't. There's no way to do that. So either either keep it all in there or get it all out of there. So, 
you know, anybody who's listening to this, any of you folks out there, have you ever felt, you know, at least a little bit confused or overwhelmed and you sat down and you made a list and you felt better? If you reverse engineered that, you'd never keep anything in your head the rest of your life. Because by making the list, that is by externalizing this stuff out of that crappy office, out of your head, you started to feel more in control, more focused, more able to look at the right things and, and consider you know, things in a much uh, higher light in terms of what you're doing. I so, got it. Uh, I got to ask you, do you, do you prefer physical paper or do you like, do you use any digital tools and what are your thoughts on the digital tools? Well, I use both. I use the low tech. I use paper and pen for capturing no batteries required, no Wi-Fi, whatever. So, you know, I keep a, a little note taker wallet in my back pocket, you know, along with my credit cards and so forth. So I can write down anything that shows up anywhere, anytime I keep a pen and paper on my desk here because God knows what I'm going to tell you or what's going to pop into my head while I'm doing whatever that I think I might need to do something about or decide something about later on. So low tech is the, is probably 95% of my capturing. So capturing is very different than being organized. See, if anybody takes, anybody take notes, takes notes in meetings, you need to then go back and sit down in the quiet of your own workspace and then figure out what the hell just happened in that meeting and what am I going to do about it? So ideally, you took enough notes, to, then you could tell yourself, okay, oh, that reminds me, now I need to do X, Y, and Z. Once you make those decisions, so I call that capturing and then clarifying and then organizing. I, so I captured the, the potential thoughts that I might need to make some decision about. I then need to decide, okay, is there anything actionable out of this that I need to do I haven't done yet and, and still need to do? And then if, if you don't do it that very second, then you better keep track of it somewhere. And that's where organizing or having lists of the, the errands to run, stuff to do at the computer, some websites you need to surf, stuff you need to talk to your partner about, things, you know, all that stuff. You know, so those then start to look like to-dos. In, in that case, I use a digital tool, though I know a lot of people, and I did for 20-plus years, I kept a, a, a paper-based, you know, planner, a great list manager. You just need a list manager in terms of organizing. But capturing, you need something that's very fast. Uh, you can capture on your iPhone, but the problem is you don't know where it goes. And unless you have a lot of discipline to empty out where you captured it into, where'd you put it into Evernote? You stick it into iTest. What, what'd, you, what'd you do with it? And so yeah. it's, it's easier to have that in paper to begin with. And then later on, you know, sit down in the, in the quiet of my own workspace and then make decisions about what it is that I captured. So my capture is, to, uh, to, your aunt, to answer you, my capture is primarily low-tech paper and pen, and my organize is primarily digital, because I use, we still use uh, what's now HCL notes, used to be Lotus notes, then IBM notes, we still use notes in our company. So just the task manager inside of that, and, and a little customized piece of software, you know, added onto that is my digital, uh, you know, list manager. Interesting. So the, I just think the, the whole getting things done method is very cool. It's almost like a software update for, you know, the modern world. Like people need to update their own internal software to be able to function correctly in this complex, <laughs> you know, uh, environment. And, and it seems like it's only getting more complex. Do you, do you feel like the, these methods are, are universal and will last, uh, you know, regardless of? Oh, sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in, in 2090, when we land on Jupiter, you still need an in-basket. You still need to capture stuff that has your attention. You can't finish in the moment. You still need to decide the next action on those and who's doing them and how you get them done. You still need to have some sort of organizational system of reminders of the open loops, you know, that you've identified. 
So, you know, that 200 years ago, before knowledge work, you know, quote, showed up. And knowledge work meaning you actually had to think to figure out what to do. You know, if your job is only making and moving things, you, you know, a pile of unmade, unmoved things tells you what to do, right? Uh, yeah, like but, manual, physical labor, working in a factory or something, pretty simple yeah, stuff. Yeah, but even, that, even those these days are high tech and, you know, and virtual and they still have to think. So that's why the knowledge workers has sort of spread, has spread out to pretty much everybody. everybody. No email tells you what to do with that email or very few of them. Yeah. And even physical mail that shows up in your mailbox doesn't tell you what's junk mail and what's not. And even the junk mail doesn't tell you whether or not there could be a cool thing inside the junk mail you might actually want to do you know, or take advantage of. So you still have to think to decide what to do. That's the point. So if you have to think to decide what to do, I just discovered what the algorithm or the formula was about how exactly should you think about that email when you open it. Everybody's going to think about it, but a lot of people just open it up and go, huh, and close it up again. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to think. They don't want to des- decide what exactly that email means to them and what they're going to do about it, if anything. And so it's that executive decision-making that essentially the, the, there is a formula for that. It's not hard, but it's also not automatic. And it's something you need to train yourself to do. When you say uh, knowledge worker, are you, you know, sort of borrowing the term from Peter Drucker's description yeah. of it? Yeah. Yeah. Drucker sort of was the first guy to identify it. And, you know, his basic challenge was that for anybody who has to think about what to do, your biggest job is defining actually what your work is. Drucker is another, self, yeah. Not self-defined. It's not self-defined. Uh, he didn't tell you how to do that. He just warned you that you have to. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, which is interesting because he lived sort of through the time where it changed from more of the industrial manual style labor to that knowledge, uh, yeah. you know, to primarily knowledge work. Were there, are there any sort of, uh, I don't know, nuggets or pieces of information that you've particularly found valuable from, from his writings or from his work? Oh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, Drucker. You know, but what's really funny is Drucker was the great management guru about how do you manage yourself in big organizations. And he absolutely was allergic to any organization whatsoever. He didn't even have a secretary. He hand wrote most of his manuscripts and left them outside in the door. And then somebody showed up and <laughs> dropped them in there. If you wanted him to speak, he had better already have your check in the bank before you'd even go. So he had no receivables. He had no, it's really funny. I mean, he was, that's he was, hilarious. He was such an expert. Well, come on. He was, well, you know, he was in the same place Chick sent me. I, you know, the flow guy was Claremont college, you know, just out east of you there. And so, you know, that, yeah, interestingly, and, and Drucker, you know, he had brilliant stuff. You know, was, you, 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 the effective executive was still a great book. You still should, you know, still a, a book worth reading, you know, even though it's, you know, decades old. Certainly. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorites. I've always, uh, I've, you know, sort of combed through a lot of his work and, read a lot of it. It's, a, it's always intriguing to me that, you know, so much of it still rings true today and that, you know, a lot of the predictions he made about, you know, the modern workplaces is, is, you know, just very accurate from where he was coming from, even, even before, uh, you know, computers really took off and, and the internet and email and everything like that. Sure. Well, I think the, you know, the major thing I got that for, for, for my work was that you have to define your work. It's not self-defined. And so I figured out the formula essentially about how do you define what your work is and it, because it's not already defined for you. So, you know, if you get getting things done, if you've read the book, you know that there's a little diagram in there called, okay, what are the things, what do you need to ask yourself about any new input that comes into your world? 
What is it? Is it actionable? Yes or no? You know, and if no, it's either trash reference material or incubate, you know, on hold. Yeah. You know, for later for later assessment. And if it is actionable, what's the very next action you need to take? And if one action won't finish it, what's the what's the project that you're committed to complete that you need to keep track of until it's done? So outcome and action become the thinking process that you need to apply to all that. So he didn't talk about that quite in those terms. Mine was very practical in terms of this is exactly what you would do. You know, if I were to coach you or anybody, Patrick, we'd sit down and empty your head, have you go through every single thing you emptied out of your head and put you through that process. What is it? Is it an actionable item? Yes or no? And then, you know, if it is, what's the next action? And if you can't finish it within two minutes, then where are you going to keep track of it? Can you delegate it? You know, mm-hmm. you either finish it in the moment, delegate it to somebody else to do the action, or you need to then keep track about it as an inventory of the next actions that are the inventory of stuff that you need to do to move the needle on all the moving parts, essentially, of, your, of all your commitments. For, for someone out there who maybe wants to try, you know, maybe they haven't done it before, starting to write down and empty their mind, how long have you seen that take for different, you know, it's like sort of the range of, time that that takes well, for somebody. You wanted to really do this. I mean, yeah, really do it. You would overhaul. Really do it. Yeah, like full overhaul. Yeah. Really full overhaul? Probably one to six hours. Gonna wow. Because you. you're going to need to open every drawer, open the trunk of your car, open everything and say, why is this there? Jesus. Oh God, that reminds me I need to. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Most people have no idea how many commitments they've actually made. They haven't completed yet. You know, so if you actually do that, you know, if you get my book, there's a, there's a complete, there's a trigger list in there, you know, essentially that, that will walk you through, you know, what projects have been started that are not finished, which projects do you need to start? What do you need to talk to people about? What are you waiting for to come back from somebody else? What, you know, yada, yada. Yeah. And so it, it, I've had it take up to two days for somebody just to not to organize or prioritize any of that, but just to identify the stuff that has their attention. So, I, I imagine it's kind of like if you went into like a hoarder house and there's stacks of papers everywhere <laughs> and you have to sort of look through each paper uh, yeah. to identify the issues. Do you have any method for, because I could imagine a lot of people might have a few things top of mind, uh, you know, those things that sort of rattle around consistently, but then there are other commitments that they've maybe made that are a much smaller scale, but are still in there somewhere. Do you have well, any? A fascinating thing about that, Patrick, is that the top of mind stuff, yeah, there might be some really strategic things there. It's an important kind of net latest and loudest stuff that's banging. Around. Oh yeah, you know my, you know my plumbing just screwed up, and I got to get a good plumber. Or uh, my kids are banging on my door to try to find see if they could take a karate lesson. Or oh my, we we've really got to. We just had a meeting, and we really have to get a vice president of finance or marketing, and have to you know I don't know whatever those things bang around. There's some immediate things. Once you actually, but you know, I have a saying that once you actually pay appropriate attention to what has your attention, then you'll find out what really has your attention. Oh my God, is this really the job I want? Is this mm. really the, is this really the life partner I want? Yes. Is this really where I want to live? So there's a lot of open loops that get pretty subtle. So as soon as you start to clear the deck, it's an onion to unpeel. There's a lot of levels in there that are, that most people have going on. But most people don't have the, the clarity or bandwidth yet to notice the more subtle things. And sometimes the more subtle things are the more strategic things, the more important things really in your life in terms of life and work and career and things like that. So, wow. But yeah. you, can grab, you can grab any of them, whatever. You, know, you just see the unique thing about my methodology, it starts with where you are, not with where you should be. 
See, if your day-to-day is feeling out of control, don't try to think about where you want to be five years from now. You'll just blow a fuse and feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Well, I, man, that's, that's pretty amazing. I could only imagine, um, you know, some of the revelations some people might have as they start to peel away those layers of the onion and find themselves in a, you know, sort of precarious position either with, you know, where they've set themselves up in life or the relationships that they have. Yeah, well, I'm not pretending that that this stuff makes life easy. You know, come on, if life wasn't, if you, if you weren't challenged, you wouldn't grow or expand or express yourself, really. You know, so you need to be challenged, you know, but that's, again, back to the flow state. You need to have enough challenge that you're not bored, but not too much of a challenge that you feel overwhelmed and out of control. So that's that was a lot of the formula that Csikszentmihalyi, you know, you know, found in terms of how you get into what are the conditions that then tend to promote the flow state itself? So you need to be challenged. So it doesn't make this hard, but if I walk in, I don't have to, I don't have to force you to be thinking about the deep stuff of life. All I have to do is walk in and say, Patrick, what around it on your desk or under your desk or, or in your briefcase or in your pack doesn't belong there permanently. That's been there longer than a few hours. Well, why is it there? Oh, well, yeah. And what are you going to do with it? See, until you actually make all these appropriate decisions about it and park the results someplace you trust, it's got you. It's actually yeah. yelling at you. It's actually, are you whispering at you? Usually, most, most of that stuff is yelling at people, but they can't stand the yelling so they can numb out. Yeah. Most, most everybody listening to this has a pile of stuff they've gone numb to. <clears throat> sure. I, I, I think that's sort of the standard condition these days. Yeah. And that's why, you know, what's changed is not so much the methodology, but how many people need it at what levels. Yes. You got in just in time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you also need just in case. So you need checklists for, you know, in case it, come on, you live in a place in California right now. What happens when they tell you the fire's coming and you got about 20 minutes? Do you know what to grab? Yes. You're trying to use your head? To remember that? I don't think so. It's, yeah, it's sort of uh, creating habits for yourself or creating the room for a habit to exist that, that, you know, you sort of don't need to operate on your, your conscious mind. Cause especially in a situation like if you describe all the fires coming, like your conscious mind's going to be shot. You're not really going to be able to think straight. Sure. Uh, Never mind if, you know, there's crisis uh, or anything like that. I, I can't help but to, for things like that, for, for questions like that, that you might ask yourself, do you do that on a, like a habitual basis? Like, I don't know, quarterly, six months, yearly, do you ask yourself some of those harder questions? No, I'm too lazy. (laughs) No, I just ask myself, I just notice when something has my attention. Okay. See, I'll be bold enough to tell you most of the time I'm just present. Because anything that, that pops into my, I, I, you know, I eat my own dog food. I mean, I'm, I'm my own student here. Anything occurs to me I can't finish in the moment that I might, would, could, should do or decide something about. That's captured. Yep. So sooner than later, within 24 to 48 hours, I empty out all my backlog, email and everything else by going through the, the clarify process I mentioned. What is it? Is there a next action on this? If I can't finish that action in two minutes or less, if I can't delegate that, then that goes on some sort of a list of mine. So if you looked at my system, you see a a list of all the errands I need to run, all the things I need to talk to my wife about, all the things that, you know, all the at computer stuff that I need to do. You know, you see a list of all the things that I need to do around my house or around my apartment, where I live, where I work. 
And you just see all those things organized that way so that my head can stay just totally focused on what you and I are doing. Because you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. So I just, I just figured out how to, how to make sure I keep the inventory of everything I'm not doing very available to me. Right now, Patrick wouldn't take me more than 60 seconds to look at everything I'm not doing right now. And unbelievable. So that, that's a good... Uh, well, it shouldn't be unbelievable. That, you know, how long would it take you to glance at your calendar and see where you need to be this afternoon? Sure. Right? It's like 10 seconds. Yeah, see where, see where I'm at. So once you, so, so, so this is not... I, I do these as regularly as they show up. Got it. Right. And that, that, that said, there's also the necessity for me and you and everybody else to do, you know, some operational review and catch up and be current. So once you start to set up this system, you may have noticed if you've read my book or have started to implement this at all, that we talk a lot about the weekly review. Once a week, you better hold the world back for one to two hours and catch up, bring up the rear guard. <clears throat> See, everybody, I'm sure, Patrick, you and me too, in the last three or four or five days, stuff has happened that you know you need to do something about, handle, manage, or whatever, but you haven't had time to sit down and figure out what exactly is the project or outcome I'm committed to and what's the next action, though you know you got it, right? Yeah. So when are you, so you going to do that? So there is a need to build in reflection times, one of the biggest needs out there, especially if you're in a startup mode or an entrepreneurial mode or whatever, you know, because, you know, you know if you've done sounds like you're kind of startup guy and you know entrepreneurial guy certainly how many how many plates are you spinning in the air <laughs> in one period of time right and Absolutely, so the ability yeah. to be able to manage all those different plates and switch from one to the next so if you're an entrepreneur or you're in startup mode you got to switch from counting pennies to party guy in two seconds mm-hmm. and switch back to counting pennies again because the party costs you some money but did we have the money to do that yeah but you know so Interestingly, you know, if you've got a, those people listening to this, anybody under 30 listening to this, you may not realize how many different things you actually need to keep track of, you know, in order to feel comfortable. And, and they all take different, they all require different parts of your brain to be able to manage them well. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're 24 and it's all an adrenaline rush, you know, so what, you know, you, you, you might not feel like you need to do anything different than what you're currently doing, but wait till you have a kid <laughs> or wait till you decide, wait a minute, I, I, I need to do some other things besides this, or wait a minute. Now we just went from, you know, from five people to 50 people in this, in our startup. Oh my God. Now I got a bunch of other stuff that I have to handle, manage. I got to figure out who to talk. Yada, yada, yada. You know, come on. These are the conversations people then start to need to have with themselves and it gets more complex. If you think as you get older, life is going to get simpler, you know, think again. <laughs> Those are some great words of wisdom there. Um, I'm curious with your own reflection time, is there a specific place that you like to do that? Do you do it in the same place all the time or is it a dynamic habit that you can do anywhere? <clears throat> well, I can pretty much do it anywhere. You know, I've traveled a you know, gazillion miles over my 75 years. And so planes are sometimes a good time to do that kind of reflection thing because it's active enough to keep you very engaged with your stuff, but not too distracting. So you can think, you know, so that's, that's a good thinking time. However, now I really like to do, I really like to do it, sit down where I work, where I've got a good internet connection. Cause when I'm trying to do a review, many times, many things pop into my head that I just need to do a quick little 30 second, let me check their website, see what they're doing so that I can put that to bed, you know? And so I like to be connected when I do that. So sitting in a workspace is nice and, you know, listening to good, 
I like to listen to good classical music. You know, so Vivaldi is great for doing that kind of operational review for me. Vivaldi, you said? Vivaldi. I'm going to have to try that out. Vivaldi. Vivaldi. Yeah. Nice Baroque classical music. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I've had a great experience, uh, you know, using classical music for just productivity. Sometimes we play it in our office. You know, it's one of those things that you don't have to, it's no words, so you're not really thinking, you know, it doesn't interrupt your thoughts. Yeah. So so it's always useful. It's really good to set up a a regular kind of a a review context uh, you know, for anybody. So when I sit down and turn on that music and sit down in, in my computer and that, now it's time to catch up, you know, and I've got all my tools around me, you know, to be able to do that. Uh, but I could do it. I could do a version of this pretty much anywhere because, you know, my systems are pretty virtual and I can even check on my iPhone. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like to work on my iPhone. My iPhone is basically for taking pictures and knowing and, and you know, Google Maps. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to do anything like there's so many productivity tools and apps that they develop, but when you try to actually implement them, you know, it's like good luck even getting there through, Mm -hmm. you know, the pile of notifications and, uh, other, you know, more, you know, glittery apps that you could uh, click on instead. Sure. Um, I'm curious with, uh, you know, a lot of what your method describes is the, you know, sort of letting go of things, the emptying out of the, you know, mental trash can or whatever, uh, being able to get these things out of your mind. Um, I'm curious if there's, uh, what your thoughts are on, you know, things that people use that they add to their themselves or to their, you know, mentality or something to be productive. Like when they use caffeine or, you know, any sort of enhancers or anything like that. Like, do you feel that those are effective or do you feel like those are sort of an additional, you know, sort well, of I'm not, I'm not, I'm, that's not my, really my area of expertise in terms of, you know, just your physical physiology and, and your sleep patterns or whatever. I mean, people, a lot of, you know, Dan Pink's an old friend of mine and a big champion of my stuff. And he wrote when, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his research was you know, what's the best time of day, for instance, for you to do certain kinds of things. Uh, another friend, Teo Compernoli, who wrote a great book called Brain Chains about the, you know, he's a cognitive scientist about the need for the brain to rest. So there is an absolute, absolute requirement for the archiving part of your brain to be able to, you know, stop thinking and to essentially archive all the new inputs that you've taken. So uh, uh, sufficient sleep, uh, appropriate naps, taking a break every 90 minutes, you know, daydreaming. <clears throat> we know now the cognitive scientists have basically proven how critical those things are to, to optimize your thinking process, your cognitive. Even daydreaming? Absolutely. Could you, could you expand on that a little bit? Well, just read them. Again, I'm not the expert. <laughs> yeah. them. Like the, the, look, the necessity to take time off and just let your mind go wherever it wants to go. You know, go for a walk. That's why you mentioned it earlier on. You mentioned exercise, things like that. Oftentimes that's a great way to sort of back away because you know, kind of hard to think about some kinds of things while you're, you know, out there on a run doing yoga or whatever. So those are often, you know, great things to do. Obviously good nutrition. I'm a big fan of naps, you know, taking a nap in the afternoon is better than a cup of coffee in terms of your own, you know, energy. But again, there, I, I don't think there's, there, there's, that's an infinite, you know, uh, <laughs> field out there. Yeah. How does your brain work? What 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 context does your brain work the best in, and 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 for what? So, yeah, all that's 
all that's good stuff. But again, that's not my area of expertise. Go read the books. Absolutely. That sounds good. I broke down those books there and I'll be able to share them with the, uh, the listeners in the show notes. Uh, there's a lot of like, from, from what I'm gathering from this, a lot of it, it's like you're seeking that balance and it seems like in our sort of overstimulated worlds, there's a lot of inputs, not enough outputs. And, you know, your method sort of creates a system where, you know, people can cultivate that balance more, more actively or at least more consciously. Um, it's pretty, it's yeah. Well, just becoming conscious of your commitments is good. Becoming conscious of your commitments is going to make that easier. You know, I don't really spend a lot of time working with people and their priorities. They're, they know what their priorities really are. Are they will once they get their head much clearer and can just take a look at all the commitments they've got. You know, if you actually have a, a list of all the calls you need to make or all the websites you want to serve or all the projects you have right now and just put those in front of your face, you're not, you know, it's going to be a lot easier for you to make a decision about what to do and where to put your focus. And so... You know, I don't do the, I, you know, in my early years, I did a lot of sort of substantive consulting called, Hey, here's a better way to do this or a better way to do that. Now I just you know, tell people, look, just do this process and then pay attention to what shows up inside of you in terms of your own priorities and where you, where you need to put your focus. But that's the, you know, these days I think that's just much more critical for people to do it. So balance is a weird thing. I mean, sometimes Again, if you're 22 and it's all an adrenaline rush, you get bored going home. You know, so, yeah. you know, so what does balance mean to you? To me, it's a pretty simple thing. Just call it, are you present? What's distracting you? Why is it distracting you? What's not on cruise control in your life? So that's why all I have to do, you don't have to go very far to see where to apply my stuff. Just say, what's got your attention? I imagine most everybody listening to this has had their mind go somewhere that has nothing to do with what you and I have been talking about while we've been talking. Certainly. Right. And the, where that went, if they, if where they went in their mind was doing creative developmental thinking down track, their brain hadn't been before that was adding value to what they were thinking about and say, Hey, great. I'm glad you're using us to help you do some good thinking. But that's not where most people go when their minds go somewhere. Their minds then just trail off into something that they're not appropriately engaged with yet. Something they still haven't made some decision about what to do about it or haven't parked the results in some place they trust. So I, I've, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of people using mindfulness to try and track the thoughts that go in and out of their mind. Are there any meditative techniques that you do or anything like that that you practice besides well, meditate? You know, I've done meditations for 50 years. So, you know, yeah, but, you know, I do that. But <clears throat> that's a very different thing. You know, the mindfulness thing is kind of letting things float off like the clouds so they're not being bothered by you need cat food. But I go, why, don't, why the hell don't you just write cat food on a poster on the fridge? <laughs> So that it doesn't pop in your mind, you don't have to send it off on a cloud. You know, give me a break. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Makes sense to me. It's like get it out of your, get it out of your mental space and into the physical world in some way, shape, or form, and and it's yeah, yeah, more actionable. You know, meditating, exercising, uh, making love, cooking spaghetti, having difficult conversations, writing a business plan—all is a lot easier if your head's clear. So what's in the way of that clarity? Well, start to pay attention. What's got your attention about any of those things? Because if you don't pay appropriate attention to what has your attention, it'll take more of your attention than it deserves. As soon as you think I need cat food more than once, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. You got some commitment that you're not handling. You're not making, you're not doing something about it. So shut that up. 
The funny thing is you can wake up at three o'clock in the morning and call, oh, geez, I need cat food. Just like you wake up and go, oh, God, I've got to rewrite my business plan. Yeah. You know, they take up about the same space if they're just rattling around inside that crappy office. I'm curious. It's, you know, I think for a lot of people who maybe have never been exposed to this, it's, it's uh, hard for them to, you know, it, it seems like you've been able to take a step back from, you know, our day-to-day functioning, our day-to-day, the way that we do tasks and everything, uh, to be able to take that step back and look at it from a different perspective. Uh, was it something in your background, your history, you know, you mentioned you had a bunch of different jobs, you worked with a lot of different people, you experienced a lot of different things. You're in Berkeley in 1968. I'm sure, you know, you mentioned it was a heady time. A lot of, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of psychedelics in the, in uh, around those times. Are there any of those things that you sort of attribute to or a combination of those things that you attribute to your ability to sort of step back and look at, you know, create a model that can be, you know, or an algorithm that could be useful for everybody? Uh, no, Patrick, I don't know that I have a simple answer to that. I think from the time I was born, I think it's just in my personality, I've always been fascinated by models things that made things work easier, you know, sure. uh, if you applied the model to it. You know, as a kid, I did that. You know, my first job at age five was a magician. You know, I loved sort of just taking things and, and you know, making things happen that, that, you, that surprised you that, you know, what did you do? Uh, so I, I, I don't think it was a new thing for me to be attracted to that. But it was fascinating to find something that, allowed me to sort of take advantage of that uh, interest of mine in finding models and also find something that did nothing but improve people's conditions when, when they applied it. You know, I'm probably more of an educator and a researcher than a, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not, a, not even a very, you know, good entrepreneur or aspirational person. That's not, that hasn't been my, you know, my primary focus. So it's kind of amusing to me that the GTD and getting things done has become so popular uh, that I just happen to lock onto something that is quite universal, not going away. And so building a model where I could keep doing that and keep doing that work has just been sort of my focus now in terms of the, you know, in terms of that as a model. I don't know that that really answered your question, but that's, I can't think of any one particular thing or situation that caused me to start to think about those kinds of things in that way, other than laziest guy you ever met. Well, you know, you know, Bill Gates, he says, that, you know, if he's to choose between two people for a job, he chooses the lazy one because they'll figure out how to get the job done faster. So <laughs> I, I think you're totally 100% on the right track with that. And I, um, I love it. I think it's phenomenal. And, and again, I think the getting things done method, there's probably never been a time in human history where we needed it more. And it seems like every single year, uh, you know, we need it more and more. There's a constant battle for our focus and attention, uh, something that I like to talk about because I think a lot of people aren't fully aware of how many different, you know, companies and, uh, you know, you look at all the social media companies, all, all sorts of different organizations are out there trying to get your, your attention, whether it's through entertainment or uh, just sure. for clicks or whatever, uh, ad revenue, they're just trying to gather your attention. So your method really sort of hits the nail on the head as far as being able to cut through that noise and focus on the things that are important and sure. I'm sure it's going to continue. To be well, a lot of this, a lot of the stress and what I refer to as ambient anxiety are showing up because of the stress of opportunity. See, you, you move into a kind of a strange, there's kind of a strange phenomenon that you actually move into your flow state more in a crisis than you do otherwise, because it forces you to let go of a gazillion options, you know, I'll survive. Yeah. 
you know, your building catches on fire. Trust me, you were not going to worry about taxes or new tires on your car or hiring the vice president. Yeah. Get out of the friggin' building. Yep. Right? <laughs> so you start to move into your zone that way. But if there's not that kind of a crisis, you get a bigger one. All the demons at the gate come rushing through. You could do this. Well, you could do this. Oh my God. Well, Patrick, you could do this too. Wow. Instead of talking to David Allen right now, how many other things could you be doing that could add value to the, your life and your business? And Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that plethora, all that, that flood, that tsunami of options that the digital world has done. And again, the only thing, nothing new in the world except how frequently things are new. And what the technology has done, what it has changed is speed, volume, and connectivity. I mean, I, I wasted two hours, three hours, you know, when I was 14 with my girlfriend on the phone. What's the difference between that and, you know, and avoiding your life by just going onto Facebook and, you know, surfing around? Well, at least that was like, uh, you know, <laughs> developing a relationship with another human being. <laughs> no, it was wasting time with, an, you know, while it was playing around in a relationship with another human being. But what, you know, what's the difference between that and, you know, surfing around on Instagram or Facebook? Maybe the social connectivity or something. I feel like there is something more... Uh, tangible back then than, than just staring at a bunch of media and pixels and, and lights and, you know. Yeah, well, again, it's, this, it's, this, it's the stress of opportunity. Like how many, thing, how many of those things now have, do you have available to you? Yeah. I only had the telephone and my girlfriend. <laughs> you know, right. So, so time and was, place, yes. Yeah, you know, and, you know, in, I used to go wash laundry. You know, when I'm back in college, I used to go to, go to the laundromat and look and stare at the bulletin board while the, my laundry was drying, right? Wow, bike for sale, you know, apartment for rent, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. What's different? <clears throat> all, that's nothing different than what all that social media is. Now, that's the way I deal with social media. It's kind of like a cocktail party. I just wander in and out. Yeah, I look at Instagram every morning just because there's a lot of things that, you know, people that I want to see kind of what's up with them. It's, that's why my brain is kind of waking up with a cup of coffee. Yeah do that so what the heck why not if you yeah. know what you're doing and you're kind of relaxed it's a great time to be alive my god think how cool that is oh it's it's phenomenal i think it's you know it's a utopia and a dystopia at the same time because you know <laughs> yeah. you can enjoy all the beautiful things that you can stumble across on the internet but on the other hand uh you know it's like some of it's programmed and targeted to to you know push the button of your dopamine receptor you know better than any bill you know bulletin board ever could sure um, so with your work with, uh, getting things done, you have a new book coming out, which is a workbook and I wonder if you could, you know, sort of tell us what, you know, how, how what value that adds over the, you know, well, I wrote getting things done and especially the new edition that I, that came out, in, you know, two or three years ago is really a manual and it's, it's, I'm not a really good trainer. I'm a pretty good presenter, but I, I don't, I'm not an expert in instructional design. And of course, a lot of people look at that. People pick up the book and go, oh my God, that's just too much to do. I quit. So there's a lot of people that bought my book and have it on their shelf. I haven't done much about it because I understand it's like it wasn't written as a training tool. But over the last 10 years, you know, as I said, it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and probably the rest of my life to figure out how to distribute this and get it to people and get it to stick. But that's not my area of expertise. So given the coaching from a lot of really smart people out there in the instructional design world, they said, David, you got to simplify this. You got to make it much easier for people to enter this game. And so I co-authored this, uh, getting things done workbook. It's out. It's out now. 
So it's a getting things done workbook. You can see that it's, it's sort of the 10 steps to start to take, you know, to implement this methodology. It, it doesn't step it down. I mean, those are very, those are 10 very real steps to take if you wanted to go implement this, if you're new to this uh, and don't have the, the patience, I suppose, to go through the book and read, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of how to's in the book in terms of setting it up and how to work with that with yourself. But if that's too daunting for you, or you want an easier way to start, or you kind of got this, but your life partner hasn't, and yeah. you want them something a little easier <laughs> to, to step into than, the, than this thing you're a nut about called this GDD, I'm a GDD guy, you know, well understood. That can be quite off-putting to life partners, I know. <clears throat> so, you know, so yeah, it's, so it's out there. It's good. And, you know, it has QR code, so you can... When you read a little piece of it and you click on the QR code, you'll see a little video of me talking about what you just read. So, you know, it's kind of up to date. Very cool. I love it. I think, you know, it sort of goes in line with what we were talking about. I think it's, it's sort of the right time, right place for, for my generation. We, we need a little, uh, you know. Well, we also wrote last year, last summer, <clears throat> published Getting Things Done for, teen, for Teens, for Teenagers, because I, I co-wrote it with two parents who raised their kids. One of them also is a public school teacher that's been teaching his kids in his school GTD. And you don't have to be, you know, you can, kids can get this. And yeah. they, also, they also need it now too. So, and I've had a lot of adults pick up the getting things done for teens and say, wow, this was a much easier book for me to get into than the, than the, the just the getting things done book. Cause it's got cartoons and it makes it a little easier, talks a little more conversational you know, kind of puts it more in terms of a, of a 15 or 18 or 20 year old. Yeah. So, which, yeah, I think so. that's, that's phenomenal. And that was one last thing I sort of wanted to ask you about was this method here and what you, what your, you know, getting thing done method is all about is, is it's so critical. It's so important for people. And f- for some reason I never learned it in school. Is there Me any, it, it's, it's amazing. It, of all the things that I did learn, you know, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, all that junk, uh, geometry and all the things that I never use today. Uh, this is a method that, you know, it takes less than 1% of the time to do, you know, biology 101 and is infinitely more effective in your, in your day-to-day life. It literally compounds the sooner you implement these methods, you know, over... Sure. Of course, your life yeah, and amount of productivity. That's one of the reasons we wrote the book for teens, because people over the years, I don't have kids, uh, you know, so there was not really, I couldn't speak with authority about what it was like to actually start to train kids with this, but I wish the hell I'd have learned it back, back then as well. So, yeah, so, but it, it can be done, and I agree with you. It needs to be done. We just haven't figured out a really good business model for that yet because reaching the education market and so forth is a, that's a whole very different business world out there, you know, to try to make it worth our while to do that. But at least we, at least the book is out. So, uh, anybody interested and we, we really actually, it was written primarily for caring adults, parents, counselors, teachers, clergy, physicians, you know, psychologists, anybody who's dealing with kids gives you a vocabulary to help, you know, help, guide them and train them about the stuff they probably need to learn to do. I don't know that. I don't know how many teenagers are going to walk into a bookstore. See, gee, I want a book about productivity. Yeah. It's <laughs> you know, on, I, don't, yeah. I don't know that that's a popular concept. Yeah. It's uh, you know, if it's not an app on their phone, they're probably not, you know, it's like a book to, I think a <laughs> lot of teenagers is, is like ancient technology or something. 
So, yeah. but, I, but I really appreciate you, you know, thinking about that. And, and uh, I know some people who work in education and with teenagers and stuff like that. So my family members, so I'd be sure to uh, refer them over to it and see what kind of results we can, uh, we can yeah. get from that. Cool. Fantastic. Well, Dave, man, you're an absolute legend in this space. I truly appreciate all your wise words, all the information. Uh, cannot thank you enough for this opportunity to talk with you. And, and for the audience out there, do you, do you have any sort of last words of advice or, or things you want to leave them with before we wrap up? Yeah, your head's for having ideas, but not for holding them. Simple and to the point. It's, it's, it's how the method works, everybody. It's, uh, it's simple, it's easy, and uh, yeah. once again, and my, it, you know, my mission is to create a world where there are no problems, only projects. Well, again, I, I think you know, that, that mission, I think not only are you going to you know, find that it's really hitting the spot for where people are at right now with their psychology and, and the overwhelming digital flood that we're experiencing, uh, but I think that as time goes on, your work is, uh, you know, the same way it can compound in each individual's life. I think it's going to compound over, uh, you know, the impact on society. So truly appreciate what you've done. And, and uh, you know, I'm grateful for your work and I hope you keep doing it. Thanks, Patrick. And thanks for the opportunity to share it with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.